Thinking Basketball Podcast. My name is Ben. Welcome back. Today, the trade season is upon us. You know, last July, we had all of those fireworks, signings, free agency, more player movement than ever before. And then, in just about the second week of July, Russell Westbrook and Chris Paul were traded for each other. That was the last trade in the NBA as of recording this here near the end of December, a couple days before Christmas. We have gone a long time without feeding the geese, the trade population. They need to get their trade. So that's what this show is all about today. It's all about now that December 15th has passed, that lifts a moratorium on a lot of players' trade options. And so trade season is here. We're expecting some trades before the deadline in February. How many, whether there will be a blockbuster, I have no idea. That's not the point of today's podcast. The point of today's podcast is to go through and look at the fit. People have asked me this for months. Can you do a show talking about the prospective fit of some of these guys on different teams? And that honestly is one of my favorite things about analyzing the sport. I've said this before. If you follow my work, you know I wish they could swap players every few months. They could run 50 games and then switch it up. But that's not exactly practical for the league. Unless everybody moved to just, everyone moved to LA. No, don't move to LA. Move to New York. What am I talking about? Real estate here is ridiculous. Um, that's what we're going to do today. We're going to go through the some of the trades that you were all kind enough on Twitter to send over. By the way, a huge thanks to everyone on Twitter. I think I got over 500 messages about trades, which was a lot to comb through. Uh, I tried to I tried to see all of them, but at that point it becomes difficult to see the notifications. But really, um, really big thanks. Just a lot of fun to go through and see what you all constructed and put together. And that's what we're going to do today. There will be some repeats occasionally if, if the trade is meaningfully different. But the point of this, again, is not to get into the nitty-gritty of a draft pick or if a salary matches up. It's really about the big picture. You know, if Drew Holiday is traded, where does he, you know, does he fit on the team he lands on? How does he change or help them or improve them? Does Do they take something away if they have to pay to get him? That's really the purpose. That's what we're going to do. And in doing so, hopefully we'll be able to see, you know, the strengths and weaknesses of some of the key contenders. I will focus on better teams, the, the teams that are more in contention. Not that uh, a lesser team or a sub-playoff team won't get discussed at any point, but in general, apologies to Cleveland early. I'm not going to spend too much time trying to upgrade rosters like that or worry about them getting worse when they already have problems they're leaking left and right. So before we jump in to that exercise, I wanted to comment on the latest video up on the Thinking Basketball YouTube channel. It is really on the history of this idea of heliocentrism, the the philosophy of having one player do more and more and more to the point where you build your offense around a guy's scoring and playmaking. 
why it's becoming possible, the historical trends. It was a lot of fun to do. And Seth Partnow over the over at The Athletic, I believe he's the person who has coined this term heliocentrism. I'm not 100% on that, but that's the first place I saw it. Seth wrote about that. I linked uh, in the YouTube video to that piece. You can read a little bit more about his insights on some recent trends that are you know, leading to this idea of heliocentric offenses. And the thing that I didn't get to discuss in the video that I thought would be a little better just to spend a minute or two on here in the podcast and open it up to you is whether this is considered good or not. You know, whether this trend and this movement, I was surprised reading some of the the early return comments on how people were inherently turned off by that style. Despite, in my opinion, you know, many of the the clips, many of the uh, plays that were included in the piece being incredible passes or great reads or uh, exciting scores or dunks or whatever it is, but people were inherently saying, no wonder ratings are down or I'm glad I'm not, you know, watching as much because this style of play is boring to me. That that surprised me a little bit. So I don't know the answer, right? I'm interested in your answer. Uh, Twitter, LG35ELGEE35, let me know whether you think it's good or not. Um, and again, you know, I want your opinion, but I, I'm always interested in this thing from the sort of general landscape. Does this style make the sport more exciting for more people or less exciting for the majority of people? It's very exciting for me, but I'm I'm the guy who watches a lot of G League films. So um, anyway, the, another thing, though, about that is that there are wrinkles to the style. And, and I think it's very what was so surprising to me is the assumption that if offenses are heliocentric, then that means everyone plays the same and that's boring. And I don't think the star players themselves that the offenses run through are the same. I don't necessarily think everyone everyone runs spread pick and roll. Giannis in Milwaukee is more of a five out. Um, he himself will get involved as a role man in screening action, elbow stuff, offensive rebounding, and of course transition, right? So I really wanted to include Magic's history in this sort of role. This is something that I've been looking at and thinking about for a decade uh, and really only circled back to once this sort of idea came up. Um, But Magic was such a central force and yet is often seen as one of the most exciting basketball players of all time and someone responsible for really putting the NBA back in focus. So I was surprised by that. I was surprised by people viewing the everything revolving around one player as homogenous and therefore bad or unappealing. I mean, the, the obvious analogy is to football where quarterbacks do more now. But if I said quarterbacks do more and the run game is less important, do you automatically think, well, everyone must play the same way and that's boring? Leave aside whether you like football or not or anything like that. We could go to soccer if you weren't a big soccer fan. And I said, boy, the central midfielder is now 
a guy responsible for doing more on offense than ever before. I'm, by the way, I'm not saying that's true. I'm just, I'm just saying if you were told that construct, right? I don't personally get to watch a lot of soccer, so I'm not claiming that's the case. But if you were told that, would you think to yourself, boy, I'm, I'm glad I'm not watching that much. It doesn't sound exciting. I don't know. Let me know what your thoughts are. I was surprised by that. The other thing I'm interested in your take on that to me just seems like a still a very open-ended question. I don't have any answers, more questions right now than answers. Is this a blip or is this a trend that's here to stay and all of these young players are going to learn, you know, the necessary pick and roll reads, the kickouts, whatever it is, ball handling, face the basket skills will become more prevalent. We talk about three-point shooting a lot. But three-point shooting is really the flip side of the coin to me. Three-point shooting is really about the role players and how they finish. And Seth himself, Seth Partnow at The Athletic, formerly with the Bucks, has done great public work on how three-point shooters 10 years ago or 20 years ago, it was the same stuff they were just spotting up at 18 feet or 15 feet. Or it wasn't a spot up. I've talked about this before. You'd run action where a guy comes off a curl or gets a flare screen, or catch and shoot, and they only go to 17 feet. You know, I talked about it with Nate Duncan on the last episode. Carl Malone could hit Antoine Carr or Jeff Foster. They would take a top of the key jumper. That could be the bread and butter of a player. No one was thinking, take another step back and you get another point. So that that is this uh, spatial sort of outside force that orbits around the thing that is moved toward threes. Stars themselves, well, many take a lot of threes and, you know, you get rid of the long twos and you have the Harden and Luka step back and pull up and all this stuff. They still use the mid-range a lot. They still get to the basket. They, they still can have more traditional skill sets. And at a certain point, I would love to do a video. I had to scrap it for time because it just got too big, but I would love to do a video on why someone like Michael Jordan would have so much success in today's game with the space and how his game would look. I don't think his game would look exactly the same. And that's a big one for me. Okay, let's get to it. If you want information on, you know, extra draft picks or how the market values certain players or, you know, what's a, what's a healthy contract versus a negative contract or the extra sort of guy that needs to be thrown in or whatever... That is not going to be the point of this. I will actually refer you to The Athletic, today's sponsor of the podcast, because those guys, that's where I go personally. I'm not a cap space guy. I don't I don't live inside every team's books. You know, I don't there I don't have their contracts up and down, their stretch provisions and bird rights and things like that memorized. So I would go over to the athletic. And if you haven't signed up at The Athletic, listening to this pod, you can get 50% off your subscription price and a free week trial to sample all the content. It's theathletic.com slash thinkingbasketballpod. Don't forget the pod on the end of that. That lets them know that you're you're listening. Um, theathletic.com slash thinkingbasketballpod. And when you go over there, you get the free week, you get 50% off your subscription price, which is an awesome deal for the year. And then you can customize your app. You get the, this is how my setup. I have the app customized. You follow your cap guys. So John Hollinger, who of course does 
great analytics work. He was formerly the you know VP of operations for the Grizzlies. He was in Memphis for seven years, helped build them up, the grit and grind era. He, other writers, Danny LaRue, who, uh, of course, co-host of Dunked On, we've had on this show. And those guys will really get you into the nitty-gritty details of certain contracts. Um, and you follow them, you follow anyone else who's kind of in that space. You can follow Shams. You can, you can follow all of your trade and cap guys, customize your app, and then when you wake up every morning, uh, they push you something relevant in that space. So that's my recommendation. That's how I do it. I go there for those guys. I'm not going to be able to do it justice here today. Today, it's more about the fit, you know, scaling, redundancy, team needs, those kind of things. So once again, theathletic.com slash thinkingbasketballpod. Great way to support the show. Um, also a great gift probably around the holidays now that I think about that. I should have should have mentioned that at the beginning. Folks, this is why I'm not in sales. <laughs> um, talking to myself into a microphone about basketball. All right. Theathletic.com slash thinking basketball pod 50% off week free trial. Check it out. Without further ado, let's get to the first trade that was proposed. And the first one, I saw many, many variations of this. The first one, by the way, some apologies. So many people sent so many things, and I ended up grabbing what was um, in the trade simulator versus your handle. So I, if I leave out your handle, a lot of times I don't have your handle. I apologize. But many of you sent similar recommendations. The first one that was very common that I want to get out of the way is the Robert Covington for D'Angelo Russell deal that so many people have been talking about or fantasizing about perhaps since that Russell sign and trade with Kevin Durant over the summer. So I think this trade helps Golden State in the long term beautifully. I think Robert Covington as a super 3 and D guy helps them both in a starting lineup sense as someone who can shoot and finish and defend next to Curry and Clay Thompson and incorporating their motion and movement on offense with Draymond Green as a passer and whoever else they roll into the mix in the future. And I think he really helps them unlock a death lineup. They're going to need another forward. Um, I've heard some people say, you know, post-injury Clay Thompson could play small forward. Sure, but the, the key to those lineups to me has always been about having two or three other big bodies next to Draymond who can switch and guard forwards and perimeter players and the like. And Covington allows them to do that. So... Massive win for Golden State in the long term if they can make that happen. The question is whether Minnesota does that deal to me. That's the question because I don't think that deal helps Minnesota as much. It is true that they need a point guard. It is true that they need someone to create offense and pressure the defense in addition to what Carl Anthony Towns does. And it is true that it would be nice to have someone who could pass the ball to Carl Anthony Towns at a much higher level, whether it's kickouts, pop-ups, pop-ups, pop-ups. Let me try that again. Kickouts, post-ups, or pops to the three-point line. All those things are true. And so in that sense, I think the offensive fit is perfectly fine. But I'm not sure how much it helps Minnesota. Covington is a great defensive player. Carl Anthony Towns is not a great defensive player. I would describe him as 
impassable. It's probably, without getting into it, the best language to use. I don't think he's a negative, but I don't think he's much of a positive on that end either. And so if you take away Covington, you lose some of your defensive potency. And I think there's an assumption that having big wings like Wiggins or you know Jared Culver, Culver and Akogi specifically, can kind of make up for some of that defensive ground. Um, I think that's still an assumption. And out of those three, by far, Akogi, I think, has the highest defensive potential. He certainly flashed strong defensive play in his first year and change in the league. But that's the issue. You're going to lose some potency for Minnesota. The other big issue, and this will come up if Covington is, I can't remember how many times Covington comes up after this, but that contract, Covington's value as an asset, besides just his on-court fit, I mean, his contract is like a discount deal right now. It is a phenomenal contract. Again, I'm not the cap guy or anything to get into this, but, uh, you know, according to the trade machine, just to, he's making like $12 million a year this year. He is much better than that as a player. Okay, let's move on. Next hot topic. This one fascinates me. He's going to come up a few times, and that is Drew Holiday. Drew Holiday to the Bucks for Eric Bledsoe, Ersan Ilyasova, Dante DiVincenzo, and the Pacers 2020 first round pick. Who? Let me process this for a second. Okay. I think I remember why I wanted to talk about this. I do not think that New Orleans is going to be happy with a return of Eric Bledsoe. There aren't even expirings in here, not that New Orleans necessarily wants to take on a bunch of expiring contracts with their with their quote-unquote timeline, with Zion, with some of the other pieces they have. But uh, this was just a theme with Drew Holiday and the Pelicans. I don't know if any Pelicans fans actually recommended a Drew Holiday trade because it felt to me like everyone was just thinking, okay, Drew Holiday is on the market and therefore we can get him for cheap. And this to me is cheap. I don't know. I, for one, don't love that Bledsoe contract. He's got four years left on it, making about $16 million this year. Drew has three years left on his contract. He makes about $27 million. I, This just, mm, yeah, this feels, this feels like too low of a price to me. And I don't think Bledsoe, here's the thing about Bledsoe. He has a lot of limitations. He has, for many years, although I think he was better in the past, been a defensive sort of a stout defensive guard but if you put him somewhere else where he doesn't have that space to operate in the Milwaukee system I don't think he looks as good you know again it doesn't change my overall evaluation of him I'm, I'm trying to already separate him from the Milwaukee situation but I don't think it looks as good if you move him to a team like New Orleans and so unless other teams or New Orleans are enamored with Eric Bledsoe of all people at his age and his contract. I, I just think this is this is too low. Drew, of course, I imagine would help the Bucks. I think he's a slightly better shooter, a better passer, a better defender. The fit is almost the same 
but more. It's just a clear upgrade for the Bucks, in my opinion, but I'm not sure that's going to cut the mustard. What about Drew to the Nuggets? Here's the proposed deal. Gary Harris, uh, Juancho Hernan Gomez, Malik Beasley, a 2022 and 2024 first rounder for a holiday and throw in Kendrick, Kenrich Williams. Kind of the same problem for me. I think it's a low price. I think if you're New Orleans, Gary Harris uh, makes about $18 million this year. He has three years left on his contract. Drew, again, is three years, makes $27 million this year. I think if you are New Orleans, Gary Harris needs to be a better player for that to fit. You know, Harris's ability to get into the ball and defend point-of-attack defense this season has been impressive. He has a beautiful role-playing style, cutting and shooting, but to me, he's just not a good enough scorer, not a good enough shooter. I want him to be more like a 40% shooter playing this role versus a 36% shooter, whatever it is. So I also don't love the fit in Denver. I think Denver needing to get a bigger and better piece is good. I think it would help Denver. Um, maybe Jamal Murray is off ball a little bit more, and maybe that helps Jamal Murray. Both Drew and Jamal Murray can play off ball. Drew, certainly a better defender, in my opinion, than Harris, especially at point of attack guarding bigger perimeter players. But, yeah, I'm not sure I love this deal either way, even if it were even if New Orleans would sell at this price. Let's move off Drew Holiday. We'll come back to him in a second. At Thomas T, he asks, what about Gordon Hayward and Robert Williams for Miles Turner and Warren? Boston can include picks if needed to get the the job done. This was really interesting to me. Hayward, of course, has that giant contract. So one question that I'm not going to try to answer. Again, look to those you know those guys at the Athletic I mentioned earlier, folks like that. Um, they'll have a better idea. Is Gordon Hayward's contract seen as a negative? In other words, how much does that offset his play? So his age and the contract offsetting his play, uh, which was very good this year so far when he's healthy. He's, he's looked very good. I, I'm not sure... Boston would want to trade him. I think his secondary playmaking is key to them getting to a certain offensive height in the playoffs. Kemba Walker is not, uh, I was going to say Kyrie Irving, but he's not. He's not Kyrie Irving, but he's he's slightly different. He's not far behind. But I was really looking for more of, a, of an elite pick-and-roll operator, a guy who can pass and carve up the defense. In other words, Kemba is a better scorer as an attacker than he is as a playmaker. So the Celtics, even though they have all those wings, Brown and Tatum are not your guys to create a lot. And so when stuff breaks down, when you need, they love to swing the ball side to side. Dallas also does this. Steve Jones recently talked about this on the show. And if you swing it from one side to the other with a creator, San Antonio used to have this with Tony Parker and Manu Ginobili, when it hits their hands and the defense is in recovery mode just from the horizontal shift, just from sliding the defense toward a pick and roll on one side of the court, 
changing sides to someone else. And now he has a half a step advantage on not just his man who's cheated over, but the rest of the help defense. The rest of the help defense needs to think again about what their matchups and rotations and tagging responsibilities are, and they need to put in that extra effort. And that side-to-side game, to me, is going to be key to the Celtics having a high enough level offense to compete deep in the playoffs. And if you trade Hayward out of that position, I am not sure uh, how good they can be on offense, basically, in the postseason against good defenses with time to scheme against them. That's the challenge. Again, whether either of these teams would be willing to go through with a trade like this, I mean, I think on one hand, it looks lopsided to some people, probably because Hayward is, in a way, by far the best player. But the obvious return for Boston, and I think where Thomas T. was going here, is that Turner fills their need at center. So now you get a 3 and D center who has really high-end defensive strengths with his rim protection. And all of a sudden, now you throw out a lineup of Miles Turner, Jason Tatum, Jalen Brown, Kemba Walker, and Marcus Smart. And now, woo! I mean, you can just see that. The defensive upside of that lineup with Brad Stevens as the coach would be spectacular. Absolutely spectacular. You basically have Smart can switch onto bigs. Tatum and Brown are switchable. They can guard wings and players up to, you know, very big players. They can rebound. They're smart. Turner probably has the, the worst awareness of them all, and you you can kind of see how he would be an upgrade over the way they use Tice and Robert Williams right now. So again, I have no idea if this kind of trade is even feasible for either party, but this is the kind of trade, this is the point of this podcast, to really dig into the strengths and weaknesses of these teams and what it would do for them. With Boston, I I think it's too neutral for them to do something like this. I think you lose Hayward and you lose that offensive upside and your hope is to get it back on defense. And it's probably somewhat of a neutral trade-off in May. On the flip side, I think the Pacers probably end up with the same kind of neutral swap given that they lose Turner as a defensive anchor, but then you get better with Hayward complementing Malcolm Brogdon and the offense gets better. So right now Indiana's like four or five points ahead of the league on defense with an average offense. I think adding Gordon, if he's healthy and plays well, again, leave the contract stuff out, that could give them a slightly above average offense, maybe plus two or plus three if things go well, but then the defense comes back, you're giving up stuff stuff defensively. I don't think if you're if you're a Pacers fan and you think you add Gordon Hayward, would you have an elite offense? I don't think so. I don't think you would. So yeah, that's a really interesting trade. All of this stuff around the Celtics and Turner and the, the, the very interesting stuff. Speaking of Turner, here's one that includes Holiday and Turner. So the Pelicans give up Drew Holiday. They get back Lamb and Turner. Uh, again, I'm not sure the price is right for New Orleans on this. What's interesting from the Pelicans' standpoint is 
I think coming into this season, a lot of people were very high on their defense and Derek Favors finally being in a position to sort of play full-time center and shine as an anchor. Uh, of course, listeners of this show know that I was lower on New Orleans and not super excited about that prospect. One of the reasons was I, I just didn't think that was automatically high-end defense. So you bring in Turner, and now you have a younger guy who can play D next to Zion, assuming you're playing Zion at the four going forward. Zion still hasn't played an NBA game as of recording this, which is wild. Hopefully he's back in January. It looks like Christmas is totally off the table. Any kind of like 2019 calendar year return is totally off the table. So Miles Turner next to Zion. Um, I, I guess I like that for New Orleans. I mean, they're giving up Drew Holiday. Let's assume Drew Holiday is closer to the player we've seen for the last few years versus this two-month funk to start the year. I think it's the same issue with Indiana. It's fascinating to me, Indiana trading Miles Turner. How do you avoid that defensive drop? Where does that come from? Now, someone suggested Turner for Montrez Harrell, throw in Mo Harkless. That one was, I actually, I didn't think that Indiana would go for that. I think that's too low of a price on Turner. I mean, what's apparent about going through this in real time right now is that if Indiana trades Miles Turner, they better get something juicy in return and or something that can shore up some of that defensive loss. Now, I I think what's happening, I'm sure Pacers fans are screaming at the radio right now. I think what's happening is Indiana is looking at something or or fans are looking at something that's small sampled. Uh, Turner off the court this year, 516 minutes, and the Pacers have a defensive rating of 102.5. They have outscored opponents by 11 points per 100. So they've been fantastic with Turner off the court. That is a bit of fool's gold to me. I don't think Indiana can have a high-end long-term defense or really a high-end playoff defense with whatever construction these lineups are. It's it's Sabonis. Let me give you some of the highest-minute ones. It's Sabonis, the Holidays, Doug McDermott. Uh, Sabonis, Brogdon, Holiday, Sampson. Sampson's an interesting one. I don't know. I haven't seen enough of the Pacers to to really understand how they would juice the defenses. Sabonis, Brogdon, McDermott, Warren. Yeah, I just I, I don't I don't see it. Now, if the Clippers could get Miles Turner, I would be higher on the Clippers. I think I've said this since the trade in July. I think the Clippers' interior presence, lack of great rim protection, I think it's a big black mark on their title hopes. They are a high-end team. They are a championship contender, no doubt. And they have a bunch of players and a lineup that I think will excel in the postseason. Whether they win or not, I imagine if they're healthy, the health is another question mark, but if they're healthy, they're going to be a devilish out. 
But if you want to take it to the next level, if you want to give them another card to play, an X factor, round out sort of the team so they have no noticeable weaknesses to go after, if you will, in a matchup, I would say bringing in a rim protector like Miles Turner would be huge. I I know that there's this idea of Harrell being an improved defender. I still don't buy it at a high level. He's he's undersized. He's young enough maybe that, you know, things could happen. But if it's me today and I get the opportunity to roll the dice like that, I would. Thunder Jazz trading Mike Connolly and Chris Paul. A number of people suggested this two crazy huge contracts for older point guards. I don't know if I don't know if either would go for it. I mean, I suppose if you're the Thunder you'd go for it because you get a year less of the Chris Paul contract, and I assume they're trying to get off the Chris Paul contract. But I don't know. How badly do the Thunder even need to get off the Chris Paul contract? That might be an interesting question for some of the cap space people. This one, I'll just say for posterity's sakes, Paul is a much better point guard than Mike Connolly right now. So, yeah, that would I think that would be an upgrade for Utah. Even if you were to build change your system a little bit and have Mitchell be more off ball or you could alternate. I, I It's the same concept. If I like Quinn Snyder. I think if you can find a way to make that work, that would upgrade the offense, upgrade the offense quite a bit in Utah. That would be a, that would be a huge win for Utah to me, even with the contract situation. Don't think it's going to happen. Here's a fun one. Ben Simmons for Drew Holiday, assuming you match up the salaries and all that other stuff. Ben Simmons for Drew Holiday. I I would do that in a heartbeat if I were Philadelphia. Here's the thing with Philadelphia. A lot of people say they need shooters. I actually don't really see it that way. I think what Philadelphia needs and what that roster is really missing on offense and what Josh Richardson can't really provide is more shot creation. They need Embiid can do it a little bit because you can run a lot through him in the post, but they need another guy on the perimeter to set up offense. I'm actually not even sure Drew Holiday is the best bet for that. He's probably the best overall player, and you sustain incredibly high-level defensive lineups. Um, but I'm not sure he's the best overall player. If you're New Orleans, and wow, look what happens here. If you're New Orleans... You probably never do that unless you're really high on Ben Simmons because now you're stuck with the Ben Simmons, Zion Williamson, two non-shooter thing. And it's not necessarily as redundant as having, you know, Simmons likes to get in the post in the half court. He likes to set up or, or certainly they've used him in the dunker spot. So you kind of have like a power forward who can't shoot next to Embiid a center. And that's always been an issue with the fit there in Philadelphia between those two guys. But this is where fit and team building are so huge. If you send him to New Orleans, you potentially have the same issue with Zion. Where again, you just, what are you going to do in the half court? See, the challenge with Simmons, everyone talks about his three-point shooting. I did an entire podcast last year on uh, the sort of biological mechanics of developing a shot and why it's so unlikely that he'll just 
grandfather in a shot as he gets older. Um, it's not just about the three-point shooting with him. He can continue to develop that post-game, and that would be huge. He can be more physical getting to the basket. You know, Giannis is trying to develop a three-point shot. He doesn't even necessarily need to. It's just something to amplify, you know, make him this unstoppable force. But Simmons is so far away from Giannis as a half-court player that the idea, going all the way back to the heliocentric system, the idea that you can just drum up an offense where you play five out and give the ball to Ben Simmons and have him torture his man one-on-one so defenses need to help and collapse and build a wall in transition and all these other things we see with Giannis, to me, is disconnected from reality. I'm not saying it's impossible. I'm not saying it can never happen or a lighter version of Giannis can never happen. What I'm saying is the focus on three-point shooting is essentially the wrong focus if you're looking at how Simmons can be a more dangerous offensive player. Yes, you want the three-point shooting because it allows him to play off of other guys and stretch the defense. But that's like asking, in a way, that's like asking Shaq to have a three-point shot. It's just something that is going to take a long time. And I know there's a psychological component, but it is a bigger ask for meaningful offensive value to come from Ben Simmons' three-point shot, in my opinion, in my assessment, than just getting him better at contact at the rim, using his size at the rim, probably, you know, he's got a little Euro step already, so probably learning um, some more face-up tricks. And then in the post, just getting, and I talked about this in his video last year, just, just beasting people, just getting into people more. That would make him a more dangerous half-court player. But without that, you have a player who is very stunted in the half-court. And so when you put him... I don't know if you want to pair him with Zion. Before Zion was there, I did hear talk of like, yeah, you know, would would they trade Ben Simmons in an Anthony Davis trade as a chip? And then New Orleans could build around Ben Simmons and you wouldn't have fit issues because you could do what Milwaukee did in Giannis. Well, I'm not even sure that's on the table anymore. We'll come back to that. Here's, here's a fun one. Ben Simmons, ben, I got Ben Simmons on the brain. Uh, let me try that again. Robert Covington for Spencer Dinwiddie, straight up. Hmm. Basically the same contracts. Minnesota gets their playmaker to play next to Towns. I think they're comparable level players overall. One, uh, of course, an on-ball creator. The other, uh, a defensive Super 3 and D guy. Then when Kyrie comes back, he takes over what Dinwiddie's doing. Covington fits more with the Nets but helps their defense. You free Spencer. Who knows how good he could be. Man, if I were Minnesota, I'd pull that. I really like that. I like that fit. I know I said earlier you'd give up defense, but in this case, you could, you could in theory, find a way to keep players like whether it's a Kogi or Culver or someone else down the road next season, you can get some defense back from losing Covington. But I just think the upgrade offensively 
the potential upgrade offensively there is big. I might do that if I were them. I really like that fit of a guy like Dinwiddie who's probably just, he's got a great contract. He's probably undervalued right now. He was creeping up. Um, finally hit my radar for the All-Star Power Ranking Ballot Series that I do for Patreon subscribers. And yeah, I mean, Covington is just a very strong player. This this is a nice, to me, this is a nice fit-for-fit fit trade. I think this helps both teams. Not saying either team would do it. <laughs> Who knows? But just the concept of this is fascinating for Minnesota. And then it... it Helps New New, Jer- New Jersey. What year is it? It helps Brooklyn uh, because, of course, they get off a of redundancy. Oh, if you thought it couldn't get better with Ben Simmons, the seat is about to get very hot. It's getting very toasty in here today. Ben Simmons for P.J. Washington and Devontae Graham. I'm not even sure who says no to that, first of all. Devontae Graham, obviously, on that super discounted rookie contract. And, well, I would... Not think of Devontae Graham as a better player than Ben Simmons. I'm not sure I would even have him in the same sort of tier ballpark, Um, although Devontae Graham's playing very well. This is the move. This is the kind of move that I think would unlock Philadelphia. Man, that would be, it would take some cojones to make that trade. Simmons, of course, has the max extension kicking in. For five years after this year, Graham's on that rookie deal. I don't even know if PJ, like, I have no idea about the pricing of this. Who needs to add more or whatever? Again, I'm not going to try to figure that out and sort that out. That's not my thing. But Philadelphia, to get Devontae Graham in this situation, that's what they need. That would really, that would make them very dangerous. And, And heck, PJ Washington he fits there as well. He fits as a sort of utility, uh, another another Mike Scott, if you will. They're both very young and they have a lot of potential. Uh, this this is this deal's weird to me in that I feel like both teams would probably say no, whereas both teams might want to say yes. I do think, you know, given his defensive, how good he is defensively, how young he is. He can continue to get a little bit better on offense. And then you have just a a fairly high-level piece in Ben Simmons. Um, unless Charlotte thinks they've hit gold with either Graham or P.J. Washington, man, I, I like that deal. I like that deal a lot for Philadelphia. Um, more, you know, sort of more germane to the spirit of this podcast. Shot, Graham can pass. Graham can create. Graham can get his own stuff. And so now you run out Graham, Richardson. You can throw Matisse in these lineups if Horford's on the bench, or you can go Horford, Embiid, uh, Tobias Harris with the big front line. Whew. All right, it's been it's been 40 minutes or so, and I haven't mentioned Davis Bertans. A lot of people are trying to move Davis Bertans. All of the Lakers fans, they can they constructed one trade. I assume it's the only trade that they could possibly construct. It's a future first-round pick. They they don't have a lot of uh, picks in the chest. It's a 2025 second-round pick. Cousins and Kuzma. Everyone just kept making the same trade. Uh, I, 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 don't, I don't think that's going to happen. 
Davis Bertans in this case was the incoming recommendation. Uh, boy, that would be fun to have LeBron, Danny Green, Davis Bertans, Anthony Davis, McGee switch the lineup to a small and add add another shooter or whatever. I, I don't think the Lakers want to mess with the chemistry. And here's a real like a real human psychological component. DeMarcus Cousins, he's been part of that chemistry. If you watch the games, if you look at the bench, if you look at all the reports about practice, and he's sitting here on this one-year, three-and-a-half million deal, and coming back from another devastating injury, I, I, I just, I wouldn't, I wouldn't do that if I was the Lakers. Here's another 76ers trade. Man, these are so fascinating. Spencer Dinwiddie for Josh Richardson. I would do that again if I were Philadelphia. I think you needed Richardson to be more, to be able to have a higher capacity, you know, run at, at higher RPMs, if you will, in offense. And I don't, I think it's asking too much of him. I don't think he's there. Dinwiddie, wow. Dinwiddie on the 76ers. In case you can't tell, I really like that. But Devontae Graham could do it. I just think that it's not shooting per se that they need. I think it's, an, it's a point of attack ball handler, another creator, another guy who can distribute and, and pressure the defense a little bit in addition to Embiid. Tough, though. Tough to, tough to get off Richardson psychologically when he's a new toy. For the Nets, I think same same thing as earlier, by the way. I think that would be an upgrade for the Nets, just like in the Covington situation, to bring Richardson in, get off a redundancy. Good young piece. Gordon and Augustine for D'Angelo Russell. Uh, same kind of ideas earlier for the Warriors, although I think Gordon is less of what you want than Covington. So it really depends on Russell's price. That might be a nice fit for Russell in Orlando. It's hard to see, it's hard to understand how teams view him and view his contract. That max contract. That'll be very interesting to see what they can get for them, what they can get for him. But in terms of both of those teams, I could see that helping both of those teams. You know, Orlando has that great defensive foundation with Jonathan Isaac. And you bring in a little bit more of a, a floor-raising offensive guy who has the ball and can create and shoot and Russell. I think it would be a, a decent situation for him. Let's move on, though. Here's a fun one. The Mavs get Steven Adams. Two years left on his deal. He makes about $26 million. And then they give two, two uh, similar-sized contracts back to match. It's Courtney Lee... Dwight Powell and a draft pick, add whatever you need to make it, you know, make the price right or whatever. But I think the fit here caught my eye for the Mavericks. Steven Adams is a good basketball player, good defensive player, um, great rebounder, obviously very physical, kind of will, will go to work in a system, doesn't take stuff off the table. But if he plays 30 something minutes a game, I don't know how well they can run that spread pick and roll stuff with the two guys, one diving, one popping. They have a lot of staggered screen action in Dallas, both off and on the ball. And Powell's athleticism has really helped. He's, he's very quick with the dives and the rim runs. He can move. 
Adam's not quite as mobile. And so I think the, the, you know, your first blush is, well, this could upgrade Dallas on the interior. It could give them rebounding. It's a big guy to play next to Porzingis, and Porzingis can space. I, I actually don't know if this is the right direction for this Dallas team, and I think people might be understating, assuming this trade could even go through. I know Dwight Powell has the poison pill provision. Got to get up. I need a, need a capologist here to help explain all these things. Um, but assuming it went through, I don't know how much that would help Dallas either in the short term or the long term. Maybe maybe it would help them in the long term because Adams, maybe you could build a little bit more of a balanced team around Adams, but I don't love it this year. I think you might lose some of the weaponry that they've built up. All of these guys kind of have their place in the Dallas offense, whether it's with the bench units or Luka. And by the way, those bench units are great. 76ers, Wizards, Davis, Bertans, and some other pieces. Troy Brown, second round pick for Richardson, Zaire Smith. See, I wouldn't do that. I wouldn't go in this direction if I were Philadelphia. I think Philadelphia needs the shot creation and the ball handler more than they need shooting. Obviously, for the Wizards, Bertans right now, there's I mean, there's a thought that they might not even want to trade him. But if you can sell on him when his price is high, that's not a bad price. Not sure how much more you could get. Okay, last but not least, Chris Paul, Danilo Gallinari to the Miami Heat for Dragic, Waiters, Myers Leonard, James Johnson, whatever else it takes to get done. Can you get both of those OKC players in the trade? You know, in other words, how much of the market, how much does the market see you having to pay? to take on Chris Paul's contract. I, I don't know. But the idea here is, and a lot of people constructed trades that were like this, and many people actually recommended almost this specific trade. The idea here is you put you put Goron in the trade and you're not losing much from a from a basketball standpoint. Leave the contracts aside and Paul's Paul's albatross versus you know what's expiring. Just from a basketball standpoint. Miami is very good right now. Miami wants to potentially make a move right now to play for the Eastern crown this year. Does Chris Paul help them do that? Some of these trades had Justice Winslow going out as well. So you would give up Dragic because he has not been a huge integral part of the team. But heck, I mean... As of recording this, Winslow's only played 337 minutes. I think there's more of a cultural fit with his offense, defense. You know, he can he can create a little bit, very athletic, switchable, and of course the young upside. But let's assume, just for the sake of simplifying, I want to wrap up here. Um, let's assume that Winslow goes with Dragic as well, and you throw in some of those other, you know, James Johnsons of the world and whatnot. If they just get Chris Paul back, you know, if the idea of the trade is just to, and we'll leave OKC out because it's not a, it's not really a, a relevant thing. It's more of a long-term contract thing for them to get off Chris Paul. So focusing on Miami, 
if they just get Chris Paul, does that make them title contenders? Boy, I'm inclined to say no. Now, that's not a hard no. I I think they're already pretty good. They're already looking like they're going to win around 50 games. Their uh, adjusted point differential, SRS, is plus four or so right now. Uh, Good defense and uh, an above-average offense. Very athletic. But let me explain why just the instinct for me is that it doesn't necessarily make them that much better. I think it makes them better. I think Chris Paul is still a really good basketball player, and I think having that dimension on this team is going to help and make the offense better and make them even meaningfully better in the playoffs. But they are still a tear down to me. And there's a couple reasons for this. Spolstra is a fantastic coach. When I watch the stuff that they run, they get a lot from having some of these players fit with the synergy of those actions. So they run a lot of like three-man stuff around the elbows. If you watch, cross screen, screen away, get it into a handoff. Um, If you know the horn sets where you have two guys at the elbows and two in the corners, they then use that three-man action to get into movement or cuts from the corner. And so if you bring in Chris Paul, I just wonder you got to take some of that off the table to then go back to having Paul orchestrate more or having Paul run more pick and roll or whatever he's comfortable doing. It's not. I'm not saying he doesn't fit per se. He can give them a lead ball handler. He can fit. His style of play fits. He's still a decent enough defender, I think, that he fits with what Miami really wants to do. They love having athletes out there that are strong. Paul certainly fits in that mold. But they already get a lot of mileage right now from Duncan Robinson moving and shooting off the ball. Bam, bam out of bio, moving and creating and transition or getting stuff and getting stuff on the move and making good decisions. From, you know, both Nunn and Winslow and even to a degree Butler, they all have little floater games because when you get this stuff going downhill, you attack the closeout. The defense has moved a little bit. I talked about it earlier. The defense is half a step behind and you get into space and you, and you finish. Bam has that as well. They all kind of have that. They're all built. And then Kelly Olynyk, he can make the passes. He can shoot and stretch the defense. Robinson's been on fire. Uh, Tyler Hero plays into this system well because he's got movement and a little off ball and the shooting. Uh, it all kind of works. Jimmy Butler being put in there, it was one of the more um, interesting things for me to talk to Steve Jones about. He, he just thinks, hey, Jimmy Butler was put in there and it's still the same stuff and it still works. Now you put Chris Paul in there. I don't think you can run exactly the same stuff. I don't know if you want to run exactly the same stuff. And in order to get better, you have to take some of that off the table. So I do think they would get better offensively. It's an interesting question to think about if they would get much better defensively and how the minutes work. Does does none go to the bench or does none do you move none to two for a lot of your key lineups and you have Chris Paul, none, Jimmy Butler, and then two other guys? I don't know. Maybe that's where Gallinari comes in. Maybe then you have a lineup with Bam, 
Gallinari, Butler, Nunn, Chris Paul. Is that lineup good enough defensively to protect what you lose with Gallinari in one of those situations, especially with Eric Spolstra as your coach? I, I think so. So let's let's wrap this pod this way by saying I think if Miami only acquired Chris Paul, there are some other constructions also that sent Drew Holiday to Miami. I'm not I can't remember off the top of my head. I didn't end up grabbing any that I thought would be realistic, but it's the same kind of thing. If you could get a player like that, and Drew Holiday right now probably fits in Miami's system and and their philosophical construct of players about as well as any guard could, I don't know if that gets them to the level of the top three or four teams, the title contenders. But if you added Gallinari, some of his isolation scoring, the level of his shooting and his sort of offensive trickery, boy, that would be a really interesting playoff team. A really interesting playoff team. I'm still not sure looking at it if it's a title team but it would be close it would be fun it would be super fun hopefully this podcast has been fun for you and I haven't driven you mad with some of my assessments um I know some of them are certainly outside the box that's that's the point but that's how that's how trades work sometimes sometimes they work exactly how you think and sometimes you have to kind of go beneath the surface and say What's coming off the table? What does the team do? Where are their needs? Like the Lakers, I'm not sure I would touch anything. The chemistry right now, the strength they have defensively, what Anthony Davis unlocks, I'll, I'll get into this more in the future. I'm not sure I'd touch it. What they need, of course, is another perimeter ball handler to attack alongside LeBron James. I don't know if they can acquire that on this market. I think what the Clippers need as I already alluded to, is an interior presence in a big. I know some Clippers fans are going to be concerned. You take away the Lou Williams, Trez Harrell, pick-and-roll dynamic duo. I think in the playoffs, I think, thinking about track record and past stuff here, you're better off keeping Lou Williams than Trez Harrell. Break up the pick-and-roll thing. Have, have Lou run pick-and-roll with someone else in the postseason. That's fine. It won't be as dangerous, but that's fine. And then sprinkle in Lou with those super lineups as you see fit. So it's Shamit, Leonard, George, the big that you acquire. And if you want Lou in there, you can put him in. Or Beverly. That's nasty. That team is going to be nasty. Who am I leaving out? Milwaukee? Oh. um, I think for Milwaukee, I want... George Hill's shooting about 97% from three right now. For Milwaukee, I want another guy who can shoot like that in the playoffs. So if George Hill's going to play like that, that's fine. But if you could move Bledsoe and somehow get off that contract, maybe that's too much to ask, but then bring back a shooter, I think that's what they need. I don't think Milwaukee, Chris Middleton's playing really well. I don't think you can you can get into getting a, another star-level player. You want a piece. Celtics, of course, probably need an interior presence. I say probably because 
unless it's a unless it's sort of a monster defensive chemistry changer like what Miles Turner possibly could give you, unless it's that level, I'm not sure how much of a huge difference it's going to make because I think they have to keep they have to have to be, to do anything meaningful in the playoffs. I do think they need two points of attack on two two creators on offense that complement each other. And right now that's Hayward and Kemba if they're healthy. So does that mean you could trade Jalen Brown? I don't think I don't think I would trade Marcus Smart unless I could get a massive return. Marcus Smart is playing really well. You you might see the Celtics in key playoff moments unless it's Philadelphia and then maybe unless it's Milwaukee. I mean, they're going to have to handle Giannis somehow. But against other teams, you might see them with that Marcus Smart at center lineup. Essentially at center. He's not nominally the center, but he's the strong guy who goes in and pins you on the post and boxes you out. And, you know, you don't notice that there's a 6'3 guy guarding the other team's center. Huge thanks to The Athletic for sponsoring this podcast. Once again, it'd make a great gift for yourself, for anyone else. I use it all the time. It's just an invaluable resource at this point if you are a hardcore I think sports fan because they have the same kind of blanket coverage in a bunch of other sports, but certainly basketball. You can get local writers who are fantastic. Uh, Jared Weiss for the Celtics, Fred Katz, Danny LaRue. I mean, I, the list goes on and on. I can't even keep them all in my head. A bunch of big names covering different teams around the league, the national guys, the cap guys, Seth Partner, Partnow on analytics. Um, great roster. Check it out. One week free trial, 50% off theathletic.com slash thinking basketball pod remember the pod theathletic.com slash thinking basketball pod some of you have asked about metrics some of the proprietary metrics you hear on these podcasts once again they are available to top tier patreon subscribers patreon.com slash thinking basketball for more information i have a leaderboard that updates daily with things like offensive load estimates of shot creation all kinds of other proprietary stats and you know you'll get you'll get mid-range stuff you'll get on off stuff you'll you'll see that daily you'll be able to stack up players and teams as the season unfolds so check that out if you're interested huge thanks as always to patreon supporters for making this possible and that's it for me if you celebrate christmas or hanukkah or any other holiday that is rounding out the season right now. Hope you enjoy that. Hope you have a great time. I will talk to you on the other side of that break, last episode of 2019 next time. Thanks so much for listening. And of course, I hope you are having a great day.